It's not what you want. Not a great weekend down in Tampa for the Bronx Bombers. We look back at the Yankees dropping three of four to the Rays. James Paxton's improved start until the seventh inning. And look ahead to the series against the Braves. The post Ken Davidoff will join us as we talk about yet another Giancarlo Stanton injury. We'll also chat with the first designated hitter in baseball history, former Yankee Ron Bloomberg. All that and more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, former Yankee and four-time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Sheeran. Yes, Nelly is at NYNelly43. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you use Apple, please give us a five-star rating and write a nice review, if you will. Ken Davidoff, and we'll have some laughs with Ron Bloomberg as well as we he they both join the show today. But first, we welcome in our co-host, Jeff Nelson. And Jeff, not exactly what you want down in Tampa Bay. The Yankees dropped three of four to the Rays. We talked about this before the season started, about this is going to be the Yankees' main competition in the American League East, if not the entire American League. And that came to fruition over this past weekend. They did. And, you know, it's going to happen. The Rays are a good team, and they were supposed to be right there with the Yankees anyway and you know they're a complete baseball team they have a very good rotation Charlie Morton they have Snell they have Glassnow who you know the Yankees got to uh Glassnow's got nasty stuff and they have a great lineup Austin Meadows is one of the best one of the better players in major in the major league so it was a good test for the Yankees and uh you know the one thing some positives came out of it I mean Tanaka was outstanding in his start he went five innings and didn't give up a run uh and even yesterday on Sunday with with Paxton uh, you know the velocity wasn't there he did I think get up about 93 but he struck out 11 which you know maybe that's not a big deal anymore but I still like seeing that he had a really really good breaking ball the sharpest breaking ball he had has had in a long time uh, he had that rough seventh inning and but his pitch count was still still really good I think he was in the 70s in the seventh inning so you know why not throw him out there and he just gave up a couple home runs one breaking ball and and one fastball so you know I thought some positives came out of it because the starting rotation is one of my worries it still is one of my worries but you know I, I think Tanaka and Paxton came out with pauses that could go forward. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, the 11 strikeouts, you really can't get into that too much because of the way baseball has gone these days. But like you said, Nelly, the first six inning, Paxton looked to adjust to the uh, loss of a little bit of the velocity. And that is a little bit of a silver lining in a dark cloud of three of four losses down in Tampa to the Rays. Uh, and another loss during this series was Giancarlo Stanton. He heads to the IL once again. And you would think think it would have been a slam dunk to bring Miguel Andujar back to replace him, but instead it was Tyro Estrada who came back up. Clint Frazier, as Ken Davidoff will talk to him in just a little bit, he thinks Clint Frazier is just what the doctor needs, just what the doctor orders for the Yankees right now, but who in the long run here fills in for Stanton, do you think? The thing that you can do, and I'm a little surprised that that Andujar didn't come up as well. I mean, you want consistent ABs with him. Maybe, maybe they're we, we talked about this 
last week about maybe putting him back in the infield and using him as a trade chip. But I mean, you want to see him in the big leagues. You don't want to see him in, a, in your alternate site hitting. Uh, the one thing, if you're talking about Clint Frazier, you can use the outfield as a revolving DH and give them a rest in the field, like a like a, a Judge or a or a Hicks. Um, you can maybe give Talkman a little bit more time at the plate and in the field and let him play a little bit more. But instead of just having, I mean, the Yankees have always been good at using that revolving doors a designated hitter. I guess I'm not surprised that Stanton went down. It's a little, it's a shame because I would love to see Stanton and Judge in the same lineup through 60 games or 50 plus games. And, you know, who knows how long he's going to be out. I mean, it's always been an extended time period with him. And I mean, you might see him the last week of the season. I hope not, but you know, the way things have gone in the past, that might happen. Well, he had the calf injury uh, before the season was supposed to start the last time uh, before COVID hit. And then uh, he, of course he has the, the hamstring injury now and something that we didn't bring up about Miguel Andujar the last week is something I saw from my former yes colleague Lou DiPietro who now works for WFAN he brought up the tremendous point that putting Andujar back at the alternate site and if they keep him down there it adds a year to hit you know it, it stops his clock and it'll add another year of control team control for him and not only does that benefit the Yankees maybe Nelly but it benefits maybe the team that perhaps potentially that they deal Andujar too for uh, perhaps another starting pitcher so I see where the Yankees heads are at with with Andujar in this situation I see all the machinations and how everything is working with them but it's still going to be be interesting to see how they patchwork Giancarlo Stanton but as Ken Davidoff wrote you got to give Clint Frazier a look at least and get him some at bats up with the big club well, you never know what kind of spark plug he could be as well. I mean, when you lose Stanton, I mean, he was actually hitting the ball. You know, he looked really good at the plate. You know, maybe some of the fears of the inside pitch were going away uh, that he used to have. And I was getting really excited about seeing oh, him in the lineup. In. Yeah, he was locked and in. You almost need to maybe, maybe Frazier's a spark plug. You know, maybe he goes in the outfield and you, you, you do a defensive replacement later in the game if that's what you want. Uh, he obviously deserves to be in the major leagues. He's just been landlocked, basically, with with the guys that, uh, that are, that are there with the Hicks and the Judge and the Stanton and the Gardner now Talkman the way he's been hitting him he almost needs to play every day as well he deserves to play every day and, and Fraser deserves to be in the big leagues uh that's a good point with Andujar you know that's a good possibility you know I think that's uh that's something that's probably on their mind and maybe I've never or I never thought of Mike Ford we have to talk about him too because last season and I never said this last season but I'm going to say it now I really think he was one of the Yankees hottest hitters down the stretch and he never sniffed the field in the postseason I still scratch my head about that then and I think he's going to start to open some eyes if he starts to get some consistent playing time Jeff because he's got such a sweet swing he can work the count I just think he's a natural hitter and I think you got to find ways to get his bat in there and if you have to give him DH days while Stanton is down I think you do that I think you get Mike Ford in the lineup as much as possible yeah you would like to and you know a lot of guys aren't good bench players and he's one of them that he's not a really good bench player as far as oh hey he's only hitting 167 or you know he needs consistent at bats and you know sometimes it's really tough for Aaron Boone to get everyone consistent at bats and and start subbing people in uh, at the DH role or in the field because you know Luke Voigt has been hitting the ball you, you know now Stanton's down you may see extra at bats for 
afford. I mean, look at, I mean, I'm going to bring Talkman up again. He deserves to be in there as well. Uh, but some guys just aren't, you know, they're happy to be on the big league roster, but they're just not great bench players. You know, Tyler Wade is a good bench player because he can play everywhere. And and he's one of those guys that doesn't seem to get affected by sitting on the bench and all of a sudden in three or four games and then all of a sudden get in there. And, and he's been a, he's been a great player, whether it's pinch running or in the field or, or an occasional at bat. So, you know, I, I agree. And it's going to be interesting to see how Boone does this and, and how he uses that DH role in the future. We're, we're going to talk about this more with Ken Davidoff when he joins us a little bit later, but he wrote a column about all the chirping going on between the Yankees and Rays this past weekend and how the game of baseball, Jeff, not not so much when, when you were with the Yankees because you guys had some heated rivalries as well. And that's basically how I saw baseball and all, all sports, to be honest, growing up. Teams that were rivals sincerely hated one another. There was that hate and you could see it during the game and it made the games more intriguing boxing too when i was growing up boxers hated each other and when they stepped in the ring all they wanted to do was beat the snot out of one another there wasn't any patting each other on the fanny between rounds they just went in the squared circle and they knocked the snot out of each other that's what i like to see that's what i want to see back in baseball and i think we got a little dose of that and i want to know your thoughts on this we got a little dose of that between the yankees and rays this past weekend and i gotta say me want more Tommy Likey. Oh, I like it too. I mean, you look at Oakland and Houston yesterday, and it's a serious rival now. And and Another especially after example. yeah, yeah, after Houston, you know, did what they did in, in the last few years as far as the way they cheated. You know, teams are going to take unkindly to that, and they they should. Uh, the Rays are an up and coming team, and I think you know the Yankees have always been the big They're brother. The big brother. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the Rays, it's it's time to put for them to put a stamp on on hey this. Don't forget about us. And I think it's great. I think it's great. Great to see. I think these Rays players should have a chip on their shoulder. They should go out and say, hey, you know, everybody you know, thinks that the Yankees are the favorite. The Yankees are the team that's going to walk away with this. And teams like the Rays are, are saying, whoa, wait a minute. You know, don't forget about us. And they, they don't take kindly to some of the things that, that have been printed up, whether it's a T-shirt or whether uh, the Yankees are barking in the line, in the dugout. And because now you can hear it with, when there's no fans. But I like it. I like the idea that the Rays are standing up for themselves and, and all of a sudden uh, saying, hey, you know, we're in the big leagues too. Don't take us lightly. All right, Nelly, uh, we're going to welcome in now New York Post baseball columnist Ken Davidoff. He joins us now. Follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Davidoff and read his stories in the post and at NewYorkPost.com. And Ken, let's start with uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Nelly and I just talked about this. He goes to the IL with a hamstring injury, and he was going to start the season potentially on the IL with a calf injury. First of all, do we know when he might return? How how serious is the hamstring? What do you know? They did not give us a grade, Chris. Uh, Boone was uh, more vague than that. Uh, you know, basically, it's long enough to put him on the injured list. It sounded feasible that he could be back not too long after 10 days, but we've learned from Stanton, once that first domino falls, uh, it, it could lead to a bunch of other uh, you know, calamitous uh, events. And they did everything they could by keeping him out of the field, DHing him, he looked great. He, it looked like that slide into second base. As soon as I saw it, I said, oh, no, here we go again. And he's going to go on the IL. And sure enough, uh, that's what happened. I, I, mean, I don't know if it's a shock, but you know, I was really looking forward to him and him and Judge being in the same lineup pretty much all season. And it's just not going to happen now. No, Nelly. And uh, you, you said it. I mean, this guy is just so fragile and uh, yeah, only DH'd. 
and all it took was a wild pitch. That's all it took, you know. Yeah. And and now, you know, who knows when we'll when we'll see him again? Yeah, I think it's unfair for a lot of fans who give him a lot of grief on Twitter and in social media because, as Aaron Boone said, he did work hard to get where he was. And and Ken, he looked he looked like Giancarlo Stanton from his first year with the Yankees or his MVP season with the Marlins. He really looked like he was dialed in and set to have a big sixty game season here. No doubt about it. And I, I agree with you. I do not think. He he uh, deserves any grief. But there are players, who, it, it goes on long enough. It, it's okay to cast doubt. And I'm thinking of Carl Pavano. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, there certainly uh, were some doubts throughout Jacoby Ellsbury's career with the, with the Red Sox too, before even before he joined the Yankees. But this guy, I've gotten to know Stanton as well as a writer can get to know a player these last three years. I don't think he's that kind of guy. I just think this is a guy, when, you know, when you're this big a guy, there's a lot of moving parts and it's short looks like his body is just quitting on him. You know, Ken, what do the Yankees do now as far as, you know, they had him as a permanent DH. Maybe they can mix some other guys in in that role. Uh, where do you see them using that designated hitter spot and how, how like, you know, do you see another guy being in there all the time or is somebody coming up from their alternate site? How do you see this? Well, yeah, no, I think they'll mix and match. I, I like, I think Mike Ford got the start yesterday. He'll get some more at-bats, uh, especially against righty pitching. I think Clint Frazier is going to get called up. I don't know it, but, but just with the moves they made yesterday, Yesterday, I was pointing towards Frazier getting called up to take the actual roster spot. Frazier for Estrada, uh, who replaced Stanton. And then you're talking about using the DH as sort of a resting spot, which has been a very successful method by the Yankees and other teams. Give Aaron Judge a half day starting with DH. Give Glaber Torres a half day starting with DH. Give Gio Urshela a half day starting with DH. That would certainly make sense. Yeah, and you have the the players to move into those missing parts as DJ LeMahieu. You have Mike Talkman who's playing really well. And we talked about this last Thursday, Kenny. Talkman, you have to find a way to get this guy in the lineup every day. I know he had that base running gaffe down in Tampa, but he's hitting the ball well. His on-base percentage is near 400. This is a guy you want in the lineup every day for sure. For sure. This is uh, one of their big revelations, one of their arbitrage all-stars, along (laughs) with Luke Voigt and Gio Urshela, one of these guys who, uh, you know, barely hit the radar when they acquired him. And then months later, holy crap, is this guy good? I, I echo that, my friend. Kenny, what did you uh, take from the weekend with the Rays? I saw some pauses. You had Tanaka and even Paxton threw a little bit better. Velocity wasn't there, but, you know, he still went into the seventh inning. What did you take away from uh, now? Maybe a, a rivalry like we talked with Chris and I before we came on. Yeah, uh, the Rays, I think nearly everyone thought the Rays would be the Yankees' top challenger. They got off to a slow start in this sprint of a season, but this weekend showed the Rays are legit. I mean, they just, I mean, look what happened yesterday. They lose their ace, Charlie Morton, uh, and they just come out with a bunch of relievers, bang, 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 and they and they wind up winning the ball game. Even in Friday night, they go with their Cy Young guy, Blake Snell, who pitched fine, but only three innings. And again, just arm after arm after arm. And they are a resilient group. And they, yeah, there's there's definitely some some animosity between these two teams, which is fun for, for everyone else watching. And yeah, I, I, I think the Yankees are going to win this division, but I think this weekend showed it's not going to be easy. We're, we're going back a little old school, Kenny, with your column today. You had something about the chirping between these two teams. You just alluded to it there. I'm here for it. I'm ready because this is the baseball I grew up on. I know Jeff Nelson was on Yankee teams that had their fair share of uh, quarrels with other teams. So I, I'm I'm here for this, and, and I hope this continues throughout the season. Yeah, they play each other two more series, I believe, and uh, both at the at Yankee Stadium, and it should be a lot of fun. And, and you know when there's no crowds, you can hear that chirping exactly uh, even more clearly between <laughs> each other. You're like I I covered this past weekend remotely, 
I was not comfortable flying down to Florida. It killed me on one level just because that's not how I was raised to cover games. And mm. and man, I wish I was there in person just to hear that chirping firsthand. Uh, on the other hand, I didn't want to risk my life and go to Florida. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that just that to me that shows there's a certain perverse value, I guess, in not having fans is is that chirping becomes even more uh, more prominent. I, I think you have to hand it to the Rays. You know, for you know, it's always been the Yankees. I mean, we said big brother. They've always been the big brother or the uh, or the, the Goliath of America of the American League and and the race standing up for themselves and say wait a minute you know we're just as good or or we're going to challenge you and we're tired of the t-shirts that have been printed as savages and and <laughs> some of the things that are coming out of that dugout and I I'm, I'm pretty proud of what they've done and and saying hey you know what we're going to stand up to you Absolutely, no. Yeah, these these phrases are just impressive, top to bottom. When you, you know, ownership, front office, manager, players, everything they do, uh, and then you compare the payrolls. You know, it's not even remotely close. Uh, but the Rays hold their own against the Goliaths. And they talk about pitching inside. You know, and and Kevin Cash said, you know, we're going to do anything we can to improve our chances to win. And one of the questions that was during the broadcast yesterday is how much is too much coming inside, Ken? But you know, the Yankee pitchers can come inside too. I mean, that was the way that pitchers pitched in baseball. They didn't let guys hang over the plate and destroy everything middle, middle, and out. You know, they they commanded the inside part of the plate. To me, Ken, that's baseball. That's baseball, and I think the Yankees know that too. You know, it's just heat of the moment. You see your guys get thrown like that, you're going to chirp. That's, you know, I, I think both sides get it, and I, and yeah, the anger is fun, And but I think, you know, I think both teams wake up this morning realizing, okay, Okay, this is it is what it is, and we'll see you right. the next time, and we'll right. we'll chirp at each other again. Now, is it too early to start thinking about the trade deadline? Have you guys uh, started throwing that throwing that around, or any kind of thoughts? It's you know, Nelly, it's fascinating because yeah, on one level, it's not too early. Certainly, in a normal season, you know, let's say July 11th with a July 31st trade deadline, we'd be all over the trade right. deadline. It would be daily coverage. But you know, we're only two plus weeks into this season, uh, August 11th with an August 31st trade deadline, and it's is just so weird. The other key factor is is the 16-team playoff. So to try to figure out, okay, who's really going to be sellers here and who has something to sell, that increases the, the difficulty as well. And then the logistical standpoint, you know, when you're talking about, all right, what minor leaguers are we going to get? Those minor leaguers aren't even playing, you right. know, so it's hard to evaluate them currently. And I do think there's a, a, hum, a humanity factor of like, do you really want to uproot a guy during a pandemic and tell him, all right, now you got to move your family? Yeah, we're, we're a quarter of the way through the season but already there's talk that maybe can the Yankees need some help starting pitching wise do you think they make a move to bring in another starter despite everything you just mentioned there I, I guess I would bet on no Chris I mean first of all it, it, what Nelly mentioned earlier it was an encouraging weekend for the Yankees starting rotation Tanaka and Paxton especially Paxton I mean this guy I think we talked about it last week you could easily see him just something happening and him being done for the year and yesterday was spectacular uh for the first six innings as Nelly said the fastball was only up a tick but clearly had a lot more going on a lot better movement and and, and command and he and you know I think Boone should have pulled him after six and then we'd be a win today most likely 
Uh, and then Tanaka looked much, much better. So all of a sudden, if you're talking Cole, Tanaka, Paxton, and Montgomery's had one good, one bad. If you have that front four, I'm not sure who's going to be out there who's going to upgrade that. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting going forward. Like you said, maybe that maybe it goes all the way down to that last day. Maybe some teams will say, okay, we're probably not going to be in it. But you're right, with the eight teams in, in each league, it's going to be pretty tough as far as making moves. It may not be until like that 12th hour. It might not be. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings right now. All right, Pittsburgh Pirates. So three and thirteen, they're done, right? right. <laughs> and they and they knew that going. They were done at O and O. You know, they're they're rebuilding, but, but they don't even have anyone exactly. So who are we really talking about here? Seattle Mariners are, are six and eleven, but who do they have? You None. know, that's, that, right. that's really that interesting. And you look at like uh, you know, the Blue Jays are five and eight. The Blue Jays are want to win now. Diamondbacks are six and ten. They want to win now. Uh, Kansas City Royals. I'm not. You know, they have Ian Kennedy out of the bullpen, uh, but right now the Royals are right in the mix at seven and ten. So. <laughs> Um, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot more clarity in, let's say, two weeks on August 25th. Uh, but I'm ultimately, I'm not sure if there's going to be that big prize this year. Can you see yeah. a team finishing under 500 making the playoffs? I would be surprised if there wasn't. Yeah, 16 teams making the playoffs. That that was the best point of all, Ken. You had a, a column last week, and Nelly and I talked about it, the dramatic change that would save baseball. And it got me. Like, the, the headline got me. I was like, <laughs> I said, go on. <laughs> and I was I was talking to myself as I was reading it. I'm weird like that. But, you know, when you, when you incur something about Mary and you bring up the scene <laughs> With seven minute abs, uh, I'm locked in. I'm locked into the column. So as I was going through it, Ken, I was like, no, this will never work. Well, maybe it will. Hang on a second. Kenny may be onto something. Now, I think it works. And and these seven inning double headers, yeah, Yankee fans might want a couple more innings because they started to come back against the Rays and they started to come back against the Phillies in their double headers this past week. But I just think if you want to look at the players' health, especially starting pitching, and we also my, one of my friends and I talked about this too, Ken. You would take pitching. I know a lot of pitchers, a lot of relief pitchers would lose jobs, and I don't want people to lose jobs. That's not what I'm saying. But it would make the quality of the pitching better, would it not? It would, and I don't think anyone would lose a job. Uh, I mean, when you look at how our games are managed nowadays, uh, and how often pitchers don't starting pitchers don't even go the five innings required for a for a win, and how teams like to to uh, mix and match and and go with their hard-throwing relievers for one inning. I don't think anyone's going to lose a job because of this. I'm looking at, so the Yankees had two seven-inning doubleheaders this week. I have my little box scores here. So Saturday, game one, two hours, 52 minutes. Game two, two hours, 47 minutes. And then in Philly, it was game one, 244. Game two, 238. Those, those are seven-inning games. And th- that's long enough. And I do think length of game uh, is a big problem with Major League Baseball. And I think this would fix it and I look there obviously there will be some some negatives some takeaways but I think the positives really would outweigh the negative well it's definitely something to talk about Nelly you have a follow-up there bud <laughs> yeah I mean I, I I don't know I don't I don't I don't like it I see where everybody's coming from I see where you're coming from I, I don't like it I mean you look things have I mean you, you if you go back in my when I played we had out of all those years I had one guy that had Tommy John and that was Norm Tar- Charlton that threw his arm out in the game. And all my other teammates, I don't, I don't remember anybody on the Yankees that ever had any kind of significant injuries. And look at these guys and how much they threw and how much, the, how much the starters were were throwing and, and how deep in the game that they went. And you know, every five days, basically, uh, even in Seattle, I don't know how and why the game has changed the way it has. As far as pitchers can't stay healthy, they're so worried about their pitch count. Um, when you never used to have that, 
And I guess if that if they're so worried about things and, you know, money wise, Ken, I think you, you probably have something as well that, you know, maybe it'll save teams money as far as to having to go out and get that quality starter because it may not have to be that quality starter anymore because they're only going four innings and, and you know, you can scrap together their next three. So, you know, it's uh, probably teams could save money on it, but it's just it's just it just amazes me how how the game has changed and it's almost how much these pitchers or, or whatever get babied and, you know, the pitch count has become so such a significant thing going forward with some of these teams. Well, Nelly, let me, I'm going to try to tap in my memory bank, but please correct me. When, when you were at your peak, what, you threw what, 92, 93, 99? Yeah, about 92, 93. I would hit 94 or five occasionally. Okay. So the two, the 2020 equivalent of Jeff Nelson probably throws 97, 98, right. Right? right? I mean, that's just, I think that's the biggest, when we talk about pitching, when you talk about the increase in Tommy John surgery, I think we're talking about that increase in velocity. Now and we are measuring the velocity a little bit differently now too. Yeah. So, you know, it's coming out of the hand and, you know, and ask any pitching coach when they're measuring it out of their hand, it's going to be a lot faster than what the hitter actually sees. So when we were playing, it was going, they were measuring the ball coming across the plate. So it's about... You know, if you get somebody that's hitting 100, it's probably four miles an hour faster. So the okay. hitter's not actually seeing 100 miles an hour. It's coming like, look at Jacob deGrom the other day or, or yesterday. He hit 100 miles an hour, 101. Now he's probably throwing 96 or nine, the hitter's probably seeing 96 or 7. If they measured out of Mo or out of Roger Clemens or out of, look at Randy Johnson, guys that were throwing a legit 98, those guys are hitting 102, 103 probably on, on the guns now that the way they measure. Very fair. But I think even if you account for that I still right. think average velocity is up yes. uh, from from your time pitching. Oh yeah, and yes. I think teams are viewing these pitchers as dispensable assets, right? And all right, we'll throw go as hard as you can for as long as you can, and when when it implo- explodes, you know, you'll go and get your Tommy John surgeon. We got a guy right behind you who can replace him, yeah. and that's why strikeouts are up. And I as as a counter to that, that's why home runs are up because teams are trying to counter that just you know with their launch angles and 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 trying to hit and trying to hit the ball out of the park and no. No doubt the game has changed dramatically, uh, but I think that's why it has changed. And I'm not sure if we can put that toothpaste back in that tube. And I think one way to just control the freaking length of the game is to yeah. make the game two innings shorter. Ken, keep the great columns coming. New York Post baseball columnist Ken Davidoff joins us. Uh, and uh, Ken, you could follow him on Twitter at Ken Davidoff and read his stories, of course, in the post and at nypost.com. As always, Kenny, thanks for hopping on. We appreciate the time. You got it, guys. Stay safe. All right, joining us now, the first DH in MLB history. He was on the Yankees 1969 and from 1971 to 1976. You could follow him on Twitter, at Ron Bloomberg 1, or you could find him on Facebook now, the author of Designated Hebrew. Ron Bloomberg joins us. Coach, so glad to have you on the broadcast. And you know what? I call him Coach because down at Yankee Fantasy Camp, this man was my first coach. So, Coach, it's great to hear your voice and have you on. Well, Chris, you know, it's great talking to you and Nelly. The good part about you, I think you got your arm back and I think you're playing senior baseball and, and you can't give it up, big guy. And um, at least you got one of the best pitchers in the game of baseball ever right next to you. And uh, so he could tell you how to come out of all your injuries and tell you how to throw strikes. I saw you on Facebook and you look like you're struggling. I think you're throwing to your brother and uh, you're throwing all over the place, you know? <laughs> well, Nelly's still hasn't taught me he hasn't taught me the slider coach he's got to get up here and 
tell me that uh, he's got to teach me how to throw that slider. Well, you don't want to do that because, I mean, he has too good a slider, big guy. I mean, he was one of the best. If he could teach you how to do that, you'd be one of the uh, MVPs of the senior baseball. <laughs> and uh, then you could come down to Yankee Fantasy Camp and we could give you a trophy, right, uh, Nelly? We could, no, absolutely. Well, you, you could be, yeah, you could be in the Hall of Fame. We'll get you in the <laughs> Hall of Fame real quick. We got a lot of connections. <laughs> That sounds like a plan to me. Let's let's start with that DH because um, Ron, they're, they're they're thinking about making the DH universal. And I know you were on with uh, Eddie Randall talking baseball on WFAN a couple weekends ago, and the conversation throughout the show. I don't know how the vote ended up because I got to my game, but from what I heard. Everybody who called in wants a universal DH. I don't think there was one person who still wants to see the pitcher hit. So what are your thoughts on that? Should base? I know you want it to happen, but just your thoughts on the DH being universal in baseball. Well, to be honest with you, when I became the first DH, I thought it was a big joke. You know, I thought it was, a, you know, basically a pinch hitter. And uh, it's just like uh, people playing stickball. Uh, a pitcher can't, some pitchers can't hit. But if you talk about the guy next to you, if you're talking about the DH was going to be caused because Nelly couldn't hit, uh, that would be one thing. This guy next to you is a great hitter. You know, after his uh, pitching career, he should have become the DH or he become a shortstop. The guy is too greater athlete next to you but outside of that you're talking about probably about 90 percent of the pitchers in the national league when they come up they don't even hit at all i mean it starts from little league starts from high school college a majority of the uh, minor league uh, system most of the guys can't hit you, you look at al Leiter. i mean he's depressing when he hits <laughs> most but he'll he'll say something to me when i see him but most of the guys most of the pitchers are like that i love the dh i i think it's great for the game of baseball the game of baseball has totally changed so you know i'd rather watch somebody maybe the last two uh years of their career get the hit and you know you you get guys you know i I mean, you get the guys on the Yankees now. You know, you get Judge. You know, it looks like he's having a great season. He's very, very strong this year, and hopefully he doesn't get hurt. But now you got Stanton, who was a DH, and he was injured, and he's injured like every two weeks. I think it's great for the game of baseball. You know, I'm, I, I really do. And, and it, there's no strategy, strategy uh, in the game of baseball anymore. There's no first and third. There's no bunting anymore. So it's a home run or a strikeout now. It's going to be universal next year. Also, I think the uh, players, uh, uh, collective bargaining, they, they're going to have the DH. I, I, I love it, and I think it's going to stay. Blooming, you know, I agree totally with everything that you said. Um, take us back, back to the 1970s when you became the first designated hitter and how did that happen i did i've never heard this story okay it's, it's very simple i was down in spring training and i was coming off a pretty good year in uh, 72 and four days before we were supposed to break camp down in fort lauderdale i pulled a ham a hammy uh, back then you have one-year contracts so ralph Howe and ellie howard and uh, dick hauser they came up to me and they said can i hit and i said yeah you know i mean i'm just you know, hobbing a little bit down in spring training. And back then, you don't have the modern technology where you get uh, uh, all this, uh, uh, you know, all these people get injured. You got to do this and this and this. Only thing we had, we had the uh, uh, whirlpool and we had the diathermy. And that's the only thing that we actually had. We're traveling up to Boston and Louis Tionk was 
question. And so basically, uh, they asked me, can I have that? I said, absolutely. And you, you, you start looking, you have a one-year contract. I don't, I don't want to be like a, a Wally Piff and a Lou Gehrig. And uh, I'm looking at this. You know, if I get sent down to the minor leagues, uh, back then, you might not get called up ever. I, I got wrapped up, go to the ballpark, see the lineup card uh, up in Boston, and uh, they had me as a DH. And I had no idea what to do, you know, to be honest with you. You know, people said, you know, I'm the first DH. You know, I mean, hey, I could play baseball. I mean, hey, I, I wasn't going to be drafted, you know, number one if I couldn't play baseball. The only thing I could do was hit. And, uh, but unfortunately, uh, uh, that, that's how they picked me uh, as being the first DH. And uh, I got in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I was very lucky that game against the Red Sox. We got killed. Stottlemyre came up to me and he found out I was going to uh, hit for him. And as being the DH and Mel is just like Nelly. They can hit. They can right. Yeah. Oh, they can hit. Oh, oh. Mel was very upset. I hit for him. There was no uh, pitchers hitting uh, that year. And look at it now. I never thought it's going to last uh, six months. It was forty. Uh, I think it's forty-seven years now, and and uh, it's one of the highest-paid position players in the game of baseball. And like I said, I love it, and I think it's going to stay forever and ever. Two things. Two things, Boomer. One, I totally get what you're saying with Mel Stottlemyre wanting to hit because when you pitch, you want to help yourself. That's first and foremost. And secondly, you said your bat is in the Hall of Fame. And and when that happened, you got upset because you thought you had... Now, look, a bat is like an extension of a baseball player. And, and, and you didn't have a lot of bats back then. It's not like, you know, these bat companies were throwing bats at you guys back in the 60s and 70s. So how upset were you that they took that bat and put it in the Hall of Fame immediately. I, know, I, I was really it. upset. Hey, let me tell you something. We had 12 bats. That's all we got. Uh, traveling secretary, before the season, we got a case of bats. We got 12 bats. That's all we had. And, I mean, if, if back then, the only thing you had, we had Louisville Slugger and uh, Adirondack was coming out uh, with a bat. So, I, I mean, I looked through all my bats, and I saw – this one bat. They shipped all the bats to us up in Boston. God, I had one bat that had all knots in it. It was unbelievable. It was a good, oh, it was great. You know, you keep those bats. You know, to be honest with you, out of 12 bats, you probably get about five or six. And uh, if you try to ask the travel secretary for more bats, you know, you got to wait till the next month. So we had to borrow bats from uh, other players. That's what we had to do. And let me tell you a real, real funny story. I go down to spring, not spring training, but I go to Old Thomas Day one year and uh, my uh, 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 locker was Derek Jeter's locker. So I go in, I sit with Jeter. That's how they usually uh, set you up. Peachy Sheehy set me up with a Jeter's locker and I go in there. It looked like he was uh, modeled. He had like 200, uh, he had like 200 gloves and he had about 200 bats. And he had bats after bats after bats after bats. And I'm having, I got 12 bats. But the worst part about it was Marty Appel, who was a PR guy at the Yankees at that particular time, he came in, he, he took my bat and he gave it to the Hall of Fame. And I said, what are you doing? I said, you, you, you can't do that. I probably had a good 50 to 60 hits in that bat. And uh, that's what they did. I mean, uh, we had 12 bats. That's all we had. And my bat, unfortunately, I got in the Hall of Fame uh, the back door rather than the front door. I, I got something to show people, and it's nice to have. And, and like I said before, it's it's, it's been fun. It's a, it's a great uh, conversation piece. And uh, uh, that's how I used my book with the designated Hebrew. And that's how I started my second life after baseball. 
You know, Bloomy, you mentioned the old timers day and when you guys were, uh, you came in at old Yankee Stadium and that was probably some of the most special times for me as a Yankee. I mean, I didn't grow up as a Yankee fan. I was from Baltimore, so I, I grew up as an Oriole fan and uh, I mean, the heated rivalries between those two teams were incredible. But when I became a Yankee and it came around time for old timers day and the Yankee, old Yankee clubhouse is really small and Mr. Steinbrenner wanted all of the old timers. I mean, you guys, uh, Sparky Anderson, I mean, Sparky Lyle, every Everybody, goose gosh, as you name it, they were all coming in our clubhouses that I want these guys to rub off on the on the current Yankees. And, you know, those that that day, that Sunday, to have everyone in that locker room like yourself and and all the old timers, that was just some of the most incredible times that I could ever remember as a Yankee uh, to be next to Sparky Lyle or Goose Gossage and hear the stories, Mickey Rivers running around you. I mean, it was incredible. Oh, let me tell you something. Back when we played, it was a lot different. Because the Yankees at Old Timers Day, and I don't know if you remember, Chris, the Yankees used to play another team. It wasn't just the Yankees. It was it, it was like a Bill Dickey or Mickey Mantle or a Joe DiMaggio or people like that. But there was Sandy Koufax. There was uh, uh, Looper Dett. There was Warren Spahn. There was uh, Robin Roberts. It was all those guys on the other side. The Yankees actually used to play the other team. And we used to get to the ballpark so early just to look at these guys. And because that was baseball. You know, when when you got to the stadium in Yankee Stadium and you saw a, a Joe DiMaggio, you saw a Mickey Mantle. You, you saw a Yogi Bear or a Whitey Ford. Uh, you see a Bill Dickey. You know, I mean, you see these guys. It was, you know, I mean, it was incredible. And just like Nellie said, when you used to come down to the ballpark and, and when you used to see your first, first old-timers day and you used to sit these and you, and you used to reminisce and, you know, and, you know, you used to see these guys on TV. But back when I played, I really got to see these guys play and uh, at, at old Yankee Stadium. And, I mean, it was the best of the best. You know, I mean, nowadays, uh, you know, a lot of guys don't even like to show up for some of the games. And, you know, I mean, it's uh, the, the Yankees are the best. You know, they bring back the people and they take so great care of you. And it's, it's a great, you know, I mean – they're the greatest organization in the world, Nelly. And, you know, and you've been there, you know, I mean, you went through a lot of World Series and you played on some great teams. And, you know, I, I mean, being a, a great relief pitcher like you were and, and, you know, just to be part of the Yankee organization. And when you wore that Yankee pinstripe, you know, I mean, you really bleed blue. And, you know, I mean, it's really a, uh, a family-orientated uh, organization, and, and I'm so glad that I have met you and, and uh, been in the organization to say that you're a good friend of mine. Yeah, thank you. I agree. Same with the same here. And that's the thing, you know, when we had Old Timers Day and when I was a player, there wasn't a current player that stayed in that locker room when you guys had your game. We were all out in the, in the dugout, and every single one of us watched every part of what you guys were doing when I was a player. Now, they, you may not see anyone come out and see any kind of old timers day or old timers. And uh, that's how much has changed. I mean, maybe it was Mr. Steinbrenner that made every or, or just made you think, hey, you got to go out and watch these guys and, and watch how they're doing their business, even in old timers day. But there was not one current player that ever stayed in that locker room while you guys had your game. Absolutely. I mean, that was that was a that was a very, very special day. No. 
George or uh, the CBS when when I own when uh, they owned the team when I signed with the Yankees. We wanted to go out. We wanted to see these people. I mean, these are the people that we grew up. These are people that was uh, they're the name of the you know watching a Mickey Mantle or Joe DiMaggio. But you only you'll probably have. If, you know, I mean, we'll have maybe five or six people to, uh, like uh, CC will come out. And I saw Gary Sanchez to come out and Didi to come out. But you know what? The other guys, they'll come to the ballpark. You know, they don't have to get dressed till like one o'clock in the afternoon. They'll get there around 1230. We're already being out, you know, having a good time. They don't watch us anymore. You know, uh, it's it's really uh, sad to see something like that, to watch a, a Jeff Nelson or Watch a Tino or people like that and Bernie Williams. God, these guys are great. I would love to rub my shoulders with these guys. And, you know, hey, I'm an older guy now. You know, I'm, and to watch the younger guys, to watch the newer people to come up and play in an old-timers day like uh, Swisher and Bernie Williams and, and uh, uh, Messina and, you know, and to watch these guys. This is my life. They just took my position. That's all. It's, a, it's from one uh, era to another era. Just passed it down. They took it. They ran. I got to tell you something. You, I was born the year you became the first DH. I was born in 1973. And my lifelong dream was your lifelong dream. And that was to play for the New York Yankees. And I'll give you an example of uh, an old timers day. And it was just this past old timers day last year. And it doesn't matter how many times I watch it. I just turned 47 and I still turn into a 12 year old child and I get goosebumps. And when Mariano Rivera, actually, you know, my, my co-host here, Nelly, when he gets on the mound, he means business, man. He, he still comes inside on Old Timers Day. But when Mariano Rivera faced Louis Soho and threw a ball about 80, 90 miles an hour to Soho and Soho jumped out of the box, that made me, you know, the, the goosebumps just filled my entire body. And if that was me and I was a Yankee player now, I would be in the dugout for the entire time and I would be a sponge trying to soak up everything from all of you guys. That's what you do. I mean, it's, you know, you, you asked Nelly and, and, you know, when you, even though being old, like, you know, I, I never thought I'm going to reach 72 years old. I never thought I was going to say I'm 72 years old, but to go out there and you know, you can't do it anymore. You can't see the ball. You can't run, of course. You know, I mean, it's a rush when you get out on the field. It's because you, you look at, even though this is not our stadium and you know, I never played in this one. I played in the one across the street, the old one, of course. And, but you, you, you look at these things and you look at right field, you look at center field, you go out to Monument Park, you see all this. This is where baseball started. This is where it was uh, because we're in the old ballpark and they went, of course, to the new ballpark. I still look at that as not my park, but I got to put on the, when I signed with the Yankees when I was 17 years old, when I got to put on the Yankee pinstripe, when I got on the field, and my first interview was with, I don't know if you remember, Walter Cronkite. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, with Walter Cronkite. They brought me to the stadium. It was probably about 4,000 people at the stadium. It was nobody there. The team wasn't good. But to talk to a Phil Rizzuto or Phil White or Frank Messer, and you look at the stadium, and they took me out on the field, and I, I, I took BP. And uh, Mickey was hitting, you know, I mean, you know, all those guys, I mean, it was just, and when you put the pinstripes on, 
And, you know, Nelly came over, of course, from Seattle. And, you know, from Seattle, you know, it, it is a different organization when you go to the Yankee uh, uh, clubhouse and you put that Yankee pinstripes on. And it really means something. And, you know, I mean, it's uh, this is where it was. You know, I mean, you bleed blue. And I don't care how many teams that you play for, but Nelly would tell you, you have more things with the Yankees than you do in any other team. And when you tell people you're with uh, uh, this team or this team, you, you, you play for the Yankees for four years, five years, people, they, they, their eyes just light up. And it's, it's a great feeling, great to be able to say that I played with the New York Yankees. Coach, you're a great Yankee. You're, you're still a fantastic ambassador for the game. And you're a phenomenal human being. We can't appreciate it enough for you coming on the show today. Thank you so much for the time. And we hope to have you on again soon in the near future. Well, Chris, it's great to talk to you and Nelly. I love y'all, big guys. I love y'all. That's a wrap on the John Flaherty episode of the Pinstripe Pod. That would be episode 17 to you and me. Our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rate us five stars on Apple and write a nice review, if you please. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We will be back on Thursday to recap the Yankees' short two-game set against the Braves and look ahead to their four-game series against the Red Sox. Talk to you all on Thursday. Stay safe, everybody.